We're going to wrap up the four core values today. We're going to look at multiplication. The sermon this morning is titled, Sheep Without a Shepherd. I would like you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 35 through 38. You can follow along on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible in front of you. We see in Matthew 9, 35, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. In Matthew 9 here, Jesus paints a picture that was certainly true 2,000 years ago, and I believe no less true here today in 2020. Our world is full of crowds who require compassion because they are distressed and dejected. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus gives us the answer to that situation, and that's what we want to look at today. On your handout, I want to jump right in to our fill-in-the-blanks on your handout. The first one is this. Jesus' followers should have Jesus' heart. All people everywhere. Three things that I want to draw out of this passage today. The first is this, that Jesus' followers should have Jesus' heart. And Jesus' heart is for all people everywhere. We talked, when we, when we were looking at discipleship, we talked about what it means to be a disciple. That word disciple, that basically it means to be a follower of Jesus. Somebody who's not only committed to the message that he, that he preached, but to the lifestyle that he lived. A lifestyle that is focused on seeking and saving the lost. A lifestyle that is focused on knowing, enjoying, and glorifying God. And Jesus' followers, Christians, us as believers, we should have his heart. If we're going to be his followers, if we're going to be his disciples, if we're going to call ourselves Christians. And we need to adopt the heart that he has, which is all people everywhere. It says in verse 35, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages. He did not limit himself to one geographical location. He went around to all the towns and the villages. And in those towns and villages, he went in and he taught in their synagogues. He preached the good news of the kingdom. Out of compassion, out of love for people, he preached the good news of the kingdom. And he healed every disease and every sickness. This is a portrait of a man of incredible compassion. He did not live his life for the comforts of this world, but he sacrificed his comfort to go and to travel and to reach more people because his heart was all people everywhere. Think about the, way in, the ways in which Jesus exemplified this for us. He prayed for the men who crucified him. Jesus, in his, in his dying hours had compassion for the very men who nailed him to that cross, the men who mocked him and beat him. He prayed for them, asking his Father to forgive them because his heart is all people everywhere. And then he extended forgiveness and salvation to one of the men being crucified next to him, one of the most beautiful stories in the Gospels. 
is that Jesus was crucified alongside of two criminals. And one of those criminals he had this saving conversation with in which he promised that man who was dying a death that he deserved for sins that he committed that he would be with Jesus in paradise. That's compassion. That's Jesus' heart. His mercy and compassion are unparalleled. And we are called to have that same heart. So do you care about the lost? Do you pray for your enemies the way Jesus instructed us to? Are you using your one life here on earth to help others know Jesus as their Savior? Are you willing to travel? Jesus goes around to all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching good news, healing diseases and sicknesses. He gave He gave up the comfort that he could have claimed in order to help those who needed him the most. All people everywhere. Will you do the same? Which comforts will you sacrifice in order that you might reach more people with your life? What will you do with this one life that you have here on earth? Will you travel to reach the lost? No coincidence that we're, that we're talking about this just a few days before we send out our first mission trip team to Juarez, Mexico. A place that is not the most comfortable place in the world to be. Now there are far worse places, I'll give you that. But I'm extremely proud of my brothers and sisters here at Redemption Church who've said, you know what, I'll take my vacation time, I'll take my hard-earned money, and I'll set aside my comforts, and I will go. Because we want to have a heart like Jesus, all people, everywhere. I love this quote. There's a man named C.T. Studd. I know nothing about this man other than that's a really cool name. C.T. Studd, like if, if I was going to change my name, I would seriously, cons- I think of Chad Johnson, the, the wide receiver for the Bengals a few years ago, changed his name to Ocho Cinco. Like what a stupid thing. To ch- like stud is an option. If you're going to change your last name, seriously consider stud. C.T. Stud said something that's even better than his name though. He said, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. I love it. Think about that passion. That's Jesus-like compassion. All people everywhere. Send me to where the people need to hear Jesus the most, he's saying. I don't wish to live and enjoy the earthly comforts that so many Christians participate in. Send me to where people need to hear the gospel. Some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. May God give us a heart like that. A heart like Jesus that says all people everywhere. Friends of mine are over in India right now. Uh, Friends who grew up here in western PA and uh, enjoyed a lot of the the, uh, conveniences of of life here in the U.S. um, But felt a call on their lives to go to India and to reach an unreached people group uh, called the Bengali Muslims. And it's a difficult people to reach. Uh, they're entrenched in their, in their Islamic views. 
and uh, somewhat resistant to the gospel, and it's a, different, it's a difficult country to be in. It's an uncomfortable country, and it's a country that does not want them. It's a country uh, that, would, that would expel them if they knew the true reason why they were there. And over the past few years, as I've watched them embrace this mission to go to all people everywhere, to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell, I've watched them suffer. In fact, one of those couples uh, is going through a real trial right now. I can't go into details but they're suffering very difficult emotional tragedy right now. But they're staying. They're staying and they're giving their lives to, to reach people with the gospel. A few weeks ago, we introduced you to Megan and Christian Hall, a young couple with young children uh, who are giving their lives to, to go to Southeast Asia and to reach unreached people, people who are dying without hearing the message of Jesus Christ, dying for their sins and offering them salvation. And they're giving their lives, people that would do very well here, that would be successful, that would enjoy a great life here in the U.S., who are going and giving their lives. In light of these examples, look, I'm not trying to say, look at these amazing people. On the contrary, I'm trying to say, look at these extremely ordinary people doing amazing things for the gospel. And I want, to, I, I want to use their example to spur us on. If so many are willing to do so much for the gospel, what will we be willing to do? Can we at least reach the people around us right here in Lower Borough? All people everywhere. Adopt that mentality. When I wrote... When I, when I wrote this sermon a few days ago and I started thinking about that point in my day-to-day life, it, it changed the way I was responding to people. It didn't change it enough. It, it needs to change more, but it changed the way I was thinking about the way I was responding to people. As I go about my day-to-day life and, and, and people do things that irritate me and people do things that I don't agree with or people do things that I find offensive and, and I'm, I'm tempted to respond just like almost everybody has all throughout human history and get aggravated and, and think bad things about them and wish bad things for them, I was reminded that Jesus came for all people everywhere. He came for the lost Muslims in India he came for those, the, the tribal people in Southeast Asia who have not heard the gospel. And he came for the guy who cuts in front of you on Leechburg Road. All people, everywhere. If we were to live with that mentality, if we were to have the heart that Jesus has, it would change the way we respond to people, wouldn't it? Can you see how that would make us more compassionate and more intentional and purposeful about how we live our lives and about the effort that we make to reach people with the gospel? You don't have to go to India. You don't have to go to Southeast Asia. You don't even have to go to Juarez. You can do it right here, right now. But I would encourage you to consider going to those places too. Because I think It adds fuel to the fire. It shows you what God is doing. It gives you a perspective that is helpful for right here and right now. But you don't have to wait to go on a mission trip to have the heart of Jesus. You can start today with the next thing that you do when you leave here. 
You can start to look at people and say, every person I see, every person I interact with, whether it's a positive or a negative interaction, Jesus loves them. Jesus has compassion for them. Jesus even came and died for them. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, accomplished in in his lifetime what few people have done in terms of missionary effort in all of human history. He said, if I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all for China. Who are you giving your life for? Who are you willing to give your life to reach? This is so different than how we naturally think about our lives. This, this challenges me in ways that even makes me a little bit, un, makes me a lot uncomfortable because I think about how selfish I am and how much of my life is ordered around what I want for me. And I hear examples of men like this. And I hear, I hear examples of, of people who have embraced this call to have a heart like Jesus and make their lives about reaching the people that he came and died for. Start right here, right now, and have an attitude. Have the heart of Jesus, all people everywhere. That's number one. Number two, people need Jesus, and they need people in churches who will give them Jesus. Sounds super obvious, but you'll see why I'm bringing this up. People actually need Jesus. They're not okay without Jesus. That's so unpopular to say. That's a very controversial thing, I think, outside of our Christian circles. But I believe it with all my heart that people are not okay without Jesus. They don't necessarily need everything that we package along with Jesus. Not everybody needs to be like us. Not everybody needs to have our culture or our Christianity. What they do need, all people everywhere, is Jesus Christ. It says in verse 36 of our passage, When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Does that mean that they were just absolutely miserable on the surface? That they were obviously in distress? I don't know. They may have looked very happy and content on the outside. I don't, I'm not sure even which people he's referring to. Perhaps he, he may have been in a fairly affluent area when he said this. They may have been people who had a lot of what the world has to offer. It really doesn't matter because Jesus didn't see them with external vision. He saw them with internal vision and eternal vision. He saw the status of their souls. And on the inside, all people everywhere without Jesus really are sheep without a shepherd. Distressed and dejected, vulnerable. What happens to sheep without a shepherd? They die. Sheep don't live without a shepherd. That's why we have shepherds, to protect them, to keep them safe, to lead them to food and to water, to care for their illnesses that they inevitably get. Sheep are relatively fragile on their own 
They require shepherding. And so it is with human beings. Without Jesus, without somebody to lead us to Jesus, we suffer the same fate as sheep without a shepherd. We die. And that's true whether you have a, an enjoyable life full of good things or whether you live in poverty and sickness. It really doesn't matter. He saw the crowds and he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd because people need Jesus and they, they get Jesus through people in churches who give them Jesus. He saw these people and he said, these are people in need and there's nobody to help them. He was moved with compassion because he knew that when he walked away from their town, there remained nobody else to help them. The reality is, is that still today, 2,000 years ago, people are hurting without Jesus and the world does not give them what they need. There's not enough money. There's not enough economic success. There's not enough fame and fortune. There's not enough power in this world to give a single human being what only Jesus can give. People need Jesus. And we're the ones that are supposed to lead them to him. It's the people of God and the churches of God that are to give Jesus. Now, let me tell you where we're at specifically here in the U.S. right now. I'm going to give you some statistics. Don't let that discourage you if you don't like statistics. If you do like statistics, get your pen ready. You might want to write some of these down. A history of the U.S. from its founding until now. Very, very brief. We might spend a lot of time on this. Um, the statistics aren't as complete. Uh, I'm not going to, I don't have complete statistics of where we began in 1776. Uh, but I do know that in 1776... 17% of U.S. citizens identified themselves as religious adherents. Now that obviously can mean a lot of different things. And I don't have any clarification on what that meant. But 17%, less than one in five, even identified themselves as religious adherents. Now I happen to believe that just because you call yourself a religious adherent does not mean you have a saving relationship with Jesus. And so I would put the percentage of U.S. residents in 1776 who actually had a saving relationship with Jesus is much lower than 17%, but at most 17%. In 1820, about 50 years later, there was one church for every 875 U.S. residents. One church for 800, every 875 U.S. residents. That means if every single person in 1820 went to church on the same Sunday, every church on average would have 875 people in it. Okay? So there was one church tasked with the mission to reach, on average, 875 people. That's a problem. But it's a problem that was addressed through church planning. By World War I, so the early 1900s, there was one church for every 430 people. So twice as many churches per capita. Obviously, these numbers are proportionate uh, to the number of people, to, to the population. One for every 430 by World War I. And around that same time, 
53% of people now identify themselves as religious adherents, up from 17% 40 years earlier, or 140 years earlier in 1776, from 17% to 53%. Why? Because churches were planted. People heard the message of the gospel and became followers of Jesus or at the very least became religious adherents for one reason and one reason alone because churches were planted. It's churches that take the gospel. Not churches necessarily as institutions but churches as the people of God who take the gospel to the people around them. After World War I, church planting plummeted Partly because churches became territorial and resistant to new churches. And so up until that time, you had these denominations that were planting churches like crazy. And then they started to get territorial. And we started to have this idea uh, that we already had a church here. And so maybe we don't want to start a new church and step on people's toes. And churches didn't work together as well as they should have. And church planting plummeted. From World War I on, the result was that church attendance and more importantly, adherence to Christianity has been in sharp decline ever since. In 1950, there was one church from every, for every 588 U.S. residents. That's down from one, a ratio of 1 to 430. From 1950 to 2000, it went from 588 to 833, so one church for every 833, so essentially by 2000 we were back to those 1820 numbers. In 2011 there was one church for every 909 U.S. residents, and I don't have current numbers for the last nine years, but that, that gap continues to grow. On top of the shrinking number of churches per capita is the reality that many of these churches are no longer preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The churches are caving to the pressure of our secular society more and more. And they're not preaching the gospel message which is at the very heart of why churches exist in the first place. What do we need to do? Plant churches. It's plain and simple. We need to plant churches. Tim Keller, who's given, who's an, is a very intelligent man, who's given a lot of time and study to this very subject, presents the following facts. He says, one, new churches best reach new generations, new residents, and new people. New churches reach new generations, new residents, and new people better than old churches. There's nothing wrong with old churches. We, we want old churches to remain. But new, gener- new churches reach new people better. It's just a fact. The other fact that he states is that new churches best reach the unchurched. New churches do a far better job at reaching unchurched people than old churches do. We need to plant churches. We need to do it now. And we need to do it with intensity and fervor and commitment. Christianity is in decline not because... The gospel is no longer true. Christianity is in decline because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are too few. Just like Jesus said. One of Kim and I's favorite shows is the sitcom King of Queens. It's a little bit older now. I don't know how many of you uh, have seen that show. But um, the guy, uh, 
what's the guy's name? Doug Heffernan in the show. Does anybody know uh, his name in real life? Kevin James, yeah, that's it. Kevin James, uh, is a really funny guy, great actor. Um, he and his wife are on a plane together. And Kevin's sitting there, and uh, his name's Doug in the show. Doug's sitting there, and he's got headphones on, and he's got a seat reclining, and he's got the tray down in front of him, and he's got food, and he's got stuff all over the place, and, and he's sleeping. And the captain comes on, and he gives that standard message when you're getting ready to land. He's like, ladies and gentlemen, we're preparing our final descent. We're, we need you to get ready for our landing. We need you to make sure your seats are upright and that the trays in front of you are placed back in place and that you got your seat belts on and that you're prepared for landing. And he hears none of it. And so his wife kind of elbows him and, and says, honey. And he wakes up and he says, what? He says, we're about to land, and you couldn't have more to do. <laughs> and... And I think the church is a lot like that. We've been given the specific instructions of taking the gospel to the people who live here on earth with us. We've been given the message. We've been given the power and the Holy Spirit. We've been given the instructions. We know what we need to do, but we really couldn't have more to do. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. There's a lot that needs to be done. We know that right here in Lower Borough alone, there are 150,000 people within 20 minutes of where you're sitting right now, most of whom do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. They need to hear the gospel, and they need to hear it through us. We are the ones who have been given that task. Listen, denominations are dead. They're dead. What that means is there's nobody else coming. What that means is the job is ours to embrace. The task is ours. The mission is our responsibility. Nobody else is coming to plant. I'm not saying nobody else will plant a church in Lower Borough. I'm praying they do. God willing, they will. But the, the days of churches being planted by denominations are over. They're closing way more churches than they're starting. It's up to us, it's our task. This is our part of the mission. This is where God has called us, and it's up to us to do this. We need to plant not just any churches too, but Bible-centered, gospel-driven churches. Too many churches are holding too strongly to their 20th century, sometimes 19th century methods of doing church thinking that that's what the 21st century needs, and that's not what they need. It's not the methods that we need to hold on to. It's the message. Bible-centered churches. We need to hold on to this thing with, with everything that we have, and then we need to take our methods and say, you know what, we can take them or leave them. We can change them. We can do anything we want with them. As long as the message stays the same, the methods can always change. Where we meet, the kind of music that we use, the, the way we dress, the way we talk, that's methods. That's preference. That stuff can, can come and it can go and it can change. And we should adapt our methods to reach the people of our day. But our message we hold on to for dear life. We don't let go of it. We need Bible-centered churches. Too many churches have said, you know what, methods need to change. And they've unintentionally started to change the message too. 
And we need to be the kind of church that says, no, 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 no. The same message that worked 2,000 years ago is the message that works today. Jesus did not change the message over the last 2,000 years. But it's okay if the methods do. Bible-centered, gospel-driven churches, that's what we need. We need churches that, that take this message and say there's sheep without a shepherd out there and this is the answer. There's people that need to hear this gospel. There's people that need to know how much Jesus loves them and we are the ones that are supposed to take it to them. We can't just be another church that exists only for the benefits of those who are already here. We have to be a church that exists for the benefit of those who are not yet here. And how we do that is we make decisions based on how will this help us reach our community. Not will the people that already come on Sundays enjoy this. Not will, is this, is this the way we prefer for things to be done. But what's going to help us reach those who are out there. That's the way Jesus thought. And it made some of the people around him very uncomfortable. And sometimes it will make us uncomfortable. But mission trumps preference. That's the next thing you'll see in your handout. Mission trumps preference. It's a saying I try to remind us of every now and then. Our mission trumps our preferences. Will we, let's ask ourselves this question. Will we build a church that defends our preferences? Or will we build a church that accomplishes the mission? Do you understand the difference between those two objectives? Too many churches are built around defending their preferences and not around accomplishing the mission. It goes back to what C.T. Studd said. He said, so many people want to live within the sound of a chapel bell. They want a place where they're comfortable. They want a place where everything happens the way they think. They, they experience this, the joy and the comfort of being around like-minded people. He says, give me a tent at hell's gates and I'll reach them with the gospel. The U.S. is full of dead and dying churches defending their preferences. Dead and dying churches defending their preferences. All the while, real people are going to spend a real eternity in a real heaven or a real hell. That's the mission. Okay, let's get to number three. Three, therefore, we pray, send, and go. We pray, send, and go. Jesus' followers should have Jesus' heart, all people everywhere. Number two, people need Jesus, and they need people in churches who will give them Jesus. That's us. That's our mission. Therefore, what we're going to do is we're going to pray, send, and go. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. That's the problem. Abundant harvest not enough workers to get the job done. Therefore, what does he tell us to do? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, he leaves it at that, but you'd be crazy to think that all Jesus wants us to do is pray. Jesus fully understands that if he asks his people to pray, that at some point in time during our prayers, we're going to realize, hey, you know what? I could go. We keep asking God to raise up and send out workers. Well, what's stopping me from being one of them? Or, hey, I can help support and send out and encourage and train up and build. I can be a part of this. This is a prayer that I can actually be the answer to. So we pray, send, and go. 
Harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So here's what I did this morning as I was preparing for this. I went into the alarm function of my phone, and I set an alarm that's going to go off every day at 938, because this is Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. And every day when that alarm goes off, I'm going to stop whatever I'm doing, and I'm going to pray. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. I would love it if many of you would join me and set an alarm on your phone or however you want to remind yourself. That's, that's just my method. It really doesn't matter. You can do it any way you want. Uh, but remind yourself daily to pray for workers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Send out workers. Jesus, you said the harvest is plentiful. Would you send out workers? And if you pray that prayer every day and you somehow find a way not to be one of them, tell me how you did it. That will change your heart. That will change your life. Because you'll realize I'm the answer to this prayer. That's not to say we're not praying for other people to be the answer to that prayer too. Because that's exactly what we're doing. But in that process, you're going to realize, you know what, I can, I can help. I can do something. I can participate, I can pray, I can send, and I can even go. One of the things that Tim Keller said in the research I was mentioning earlier, he said a vigorous and continuous approach to church planning is the only way to guarantee an increase in the number of believers and is the one, one of the best ways to renew the whole body of Christ. Therefore, the, the last thing you see on the handout, multiplication is an essential task of every healthy church. That's why it's, it's our fourth and final core value. We want to multiply. We want to be senders and we want to be goers. It's an essential task of every healthy church. Church planning is how we move from addition to multiplication. Over the summer when I was preaching on this core value last year, I don't, actually, I don't think this is on our website. I was going to tell you to go to our website and listen to it if you want. I looked at how in the book of Acts, the church goes from addition to multiplication. How they go from adding members to starting new churches and multiplying. The change from addition to multiplication is one of the most important changes that churches can make. Because multiplication beats addition every time. That's what J.D. Greer says in his book, Gaining by Losing, which is a fantastic book. That book, I Am Going, um, that's a nice, uh, short, easy read that will challenge the heck out of you. It's, it's, I, when I say easy, I just want to warn you, it will, it will challenge you. Um, if you want to read, if you want to take things a step further, that book, Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer, a uh, fantastic book on multiplication. But he says, multiplication beats addition every time. Addition is good. Addition looks like us winning people to Christ and adding people to our church. That's addition. That's good. I'm not knocking addition. Addition's great. Multiplication is better. Multiplication looks like us starting new churches who start new churches, all of whom are adding to their churches by reaching their communities. In that book, Gaining by Losing, J.D. Greer gives an example that I think many of us have heard at some point. He says, uh, if you were offered $10,000 a day for 30 days or one penny on the first day that would be doubled every day over those same 30 days, which would you take? $10,000 a day for 30 days or a penny on the first day that will be doubled every day for the same 30 days? If you would take the $10,000 a day, you would be $300,000 richer after 30 days. I bet you already did that math. 
Not too bad. If you were to take that penny on the first day that was doubled every day, after 30 days, you would not be $300,000 richer. You would be $5,368,709.12 richer. That's the difference between addition and multiplication. If you were to stretch that example out over 60 days, if you took $10,000 a day, you would have $600,000, barely over half a million dollars. Not bad. If anybody wants to make me that offer, I'll take it. I'll take the six hundred k. But if you were to take that penny and double it every day for 60 days, you would have over six quadrillion dollars. I didn't make that word up. That's what comes after a trillion. That's the power of multiplication. That's the difference between addition and multiplication. So let's apply that to churches. If we were to plant one church, Redemption Church, and we were to labor faithfully in this community over the next 30 years, that's about what I figure I have left before I start drooling on myself more than I already do. If we were to labor faithfully for 30 years, Success in this part of Western Pennsylvania, some of the most successful churches in addition, in reaching people through addition that I know of, hover around a thousand people. Those are the most, there are very few of them in this area, but there are a few who have managed to, through addition, reach about a thousand people. I'm, I'm just using attendance as a, as a way of measuring this, okay? Not too bad. Oh, I'd love to look back. I'd love to, 30 years from now, I'd be looking back and go, man, wow, we were able to grow from a few dozen people to a thousand people. But what if instead this one church were to reproduce every three years another church? What if we were to plan another church every three years? That's an accomplishable goal in my mind. If we were to plant another church every three years, and every one of those churches, now this is, this, we're just doing math. Life doesn't happen according to math. But if every one of those churches were to reproduce and plant another church every three years, and let's say the average attendance of all those churches was just 200 people, about double what we are today, a very achievable number. In 30 years, instead of reaching those 1,000 people, we will be looking at 204,000 people in those churches. Do we want addition or multiplication? I want multiplication. I want to multiply. That's why that's one of our core values. That's what we seek out to do because we don't just need a new church in Lower Borough, but we need, uh, we need hundreds of churches throughout Western PA. We need churches in New Ken, and we need new churches in Swissvale, and we need new churches in Cranberry. We need new churches anywhere Anywhere in Western PA, there is not a single town that you can drive to today that has too many churches. Not too many churches that are preaching the gospel anyhow. You might look around and be deceived by the buildings, the church buildings that you see. Very few of those churches are preaching the gospel and reaching their communities. We need new churches. And very few of those ones you see today will still be there in 10 or 20 or 30 years. We need new churches. In order to accomplish that, we've got a lot of work to do. 
And one of the most important things that we need to do is we need to multiply ourselves individually. Greg pitched this idea a, a couple of weeks ago where he talked about we want to be sort of like a training hospital. A training hospital welcomes people in who are in the early stages of, of learning their trades and who are, are, are not yet ready to be on their own, but they're there to learn and to be trained. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to give young leaders and young people opportunities to, to, to explore the gifts and the callings that God has on their lives. And then to do that, we all need to hold on to our little areas of ministry with open hands and be willing to look around us and say, okay, I do this. I'm on the setup team, or I serve in the kids' ministry, or I'm on the hospitality team, or I'm on the sound team, or I'm on the worship team, um, and say, you know what? Is there somebody else that I could pull alongside of me who I think might have the same gifting or the same potential to do this and multiply and reproduce ourselves? It's the only way we'll plant churches. If you look at this, you know, some of you are sitting out there and you play instruments or you sing um, and you have gifts like that and you're like, it looks like they already got all that. Trust me, we don't because we want to we multiply. We want to plant churches. We need more worship team members. We need sound team members. We need people to learn these different things, uh, these different parts of ministry that will enable us to launch new churches so that we don't look back 30 years from now and say, well, we reached a few hundred people, but we look back 30 years from now and say, we started a church planning movement. And there are hundreds of thousands of brothers and sisters in Christ who we're going to see in eternity. So let me give you a couple quick applications. I'm going to do this in one minute, and we're going to wrap this up, okay? What do I want you to do specifically? How do, I mean, that's big vision stuff. Okay, we're talking about planting dozens and dozens of churches. Okay, you're sitting there, you're like, I, I don't know where, what part I even plant. What I want you to do specifically, first and foremost, obviously, is to be a disciple in your own life. Be a follower of Christ, because you can't help us if you're not. You won't be a part of it if you're not. Follow Jesus and live for him daily. Be a daily disciple, and then get involved in the church. A few weeks ago, I, I preached that sermon, Do Your Part. We're not asking anybody to do everything, but we're asking everybody to do something. Find something that you can do to build up the church and help us reach the lost, and do it. Do your part. And then train somebody else to do it with you. Reproduce yourself. Multiply. Find somebody that you can pass on whatever gift or knowledge that you have you know, people, the guys that know how to plug in these cords and make all of this stuff work together. Find somebody and say, hey, this is where this plugs in and this is where this goes in. Obviously, they have to be willing participants. Don't just like drag a random person up here and say, they're going to be like, I don't care, you know. But find somebody and teach them to do what you do. Give. Give generously and give faithfully. Pray. Jesus emphasized that application for a reason. He didn't say do all this other stuff that I'm saying to do, though I think it's implied. He says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray and pray often that God would multiply us, that he would send out workers into his harvest. And then lastly, go. Go. Go into your community today and be willing to go into other communities when those opportunities come up. Go on a short-term mission trip with us. Go and plant a church with us in the future. If maybe you drive 20 minutes away 
And we need to plant a church in your community, in, in your neighborhood. And God is going to call you to go and plant another church. I'm not pushing anybody out the door. You're all welcome here anytime. But if God calls you to go, I would hate for you to stay. Maybe some of you God is calling to go and to give your life to reach unreached people somewhere else in the world. Wherever he's calling you, whether it's to community market or whether it's to India or Southeast Asia or somewhere else, go. Go and be a worker in his harvest. I want the worship team to come up as I close this in prayer. Jesus, as we think about your church, the only thing that's going to last into eternity, the companies we work for won't last. The sports teams that we cheer for won't last. Even the families that we've built through marriage, those won't last into eternity. But your church will. Those whom you've redeemed through the gospel, those who have been saved by Jesus' death on the cross and who heard the message from somebody just like us and believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, that's what will last. God, help us to take this message to heart this week, to have the heart of Jesus, all people everywhere. Help us to look at every single person that we interact with this week through your eyes as somebody that you have compassion for, as somebody that you came to save. God, I pray that you'd stir our hearts to pray, to pray to the Lord of harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And God, I pray that you would move us to act, that we would be goers, whether that's next door or whether that's to another country. It really doesn't matter wherever you call us. God, I pray that you would do eternal work through us, these exceedingly ordinary people right here in Lower Borough, Pennsylvania. Build your kingdom through us, Lord Jesus. These things we ask in your name. Amen.